Is Bitcoin mining going to destroy the world? Will it boil the oceans? Or could it potentially ignite an energy revolution? Today's episode is an awesome panel discussion that I hosted at the Value of Bitcoin conference just a couple of months ago, and it is all about Bitcoin mining and the energy revolution. It's time to get comfortable because this is going to be an excellent Bitcoin Audible chat. Well, uh, on this, just so everybody knows, we are talking about um, everybody just gave uh, awesome presentations on all of this. So this is going to be really exciting to see all of you guys get to chat together on this. Um, if uh, our recent presentations are anything to go by, this is probably going to be a pretty epic panel. Um, this is the environmental impact of Bitcoin now and in the future. Uh, we've got Christopher uh, Ben Dixon. Uh, head of research at CoinShares. We have Christian Stoll from the MIT Center for Energy and Environmental Policy. Jesse Pelton, who's CTO at Hodel Ranch. Philip Sandner, which we just uh, listened to, uh, head of Frankfurt School Blockchain Center, and potentially Tone Vase, content creator and uh, derivatives trader and consultant and a big personality in the Bitcoin space. Um, uh, just for, I'm not even 100% sure if I officially introduce myself to everybody. Um, I'm Guy Swan, host of uh, Bitcoin Audible podcast and uh, the Crypto Economy Network now. Um, and uh, I just want to say I enjoyed everybody's presentations. This is a, a topic that I really particularly love. And this is why Daniel reached out to me um, to, to host this because he knew I was going to geek out on this like really hard. Um, so uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, uh, joining us here. Um, Let's give another second on Tone, because I know he was in here just a minute ago. Um, sessions, we got chat. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and just jump into uh, questions then. Um, I wanted to kind of get, um, just for introductions, and I know everybody has introduced themselves already, but just a really quick uh, hit on like why this is important to you, like why this is a topic that you're interested in. And then uh, kind of as a baseline, do you think that this, that Bitcoin mining is a net positive in the long run, is a net positive on environmental impact or a net negative, or is it just something that we just don't know? Um, and uh, on my screen, I'm going to go clockwise. So I'll start with Christopher. Uh, let's uh, start with you on that. Um, wait, so you want an intro first? Like, uh, uh, sure, yeah, if, if, if you want to add anything to the, the short little intro that I, I gave. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, there's nothing much to add. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we're at CoinShares. Uh, look us up at CoinShares.com. Uh, we're a digital asset manager, offer uh, Bitcoin uh, and uh, other crypto-oriented investment products um, wrapped in more traditional uh, structures, so available through brokerage accounts and, and, and such. Um, yeah, I've, I've, done, I've done some research on mining um, purely 
for the fact that we thought it would be really interesting to put it out and um, there just needed to be more of it and um, there you know we we added just the things that we would like to see ourselves is a little bit selfish as well um, so that's that's how I essentially ended up on this panel um, check out our mining reports there uh, there won't be any more for a while sadly so um we'll we'll see how that turns out but um yeah in terms is is mining like a net benefit i mean i don't know um in the future it could be it it could not be it depends on if we figure out how to deal with uh, carbon externalities if we if we make carbon emissions expensive um bitcoin mining will be done pretty much exclusively with renewables um if we let it be a free-for-all which i mean it's it's kind of hard to be optimistic about that like globally uh because literally everyone has to agree when we have one commons which is the atmosphere but hundreds of different individual jurisdictions then yeah exactly it's a solid comment it's like it's really really hard to enforce globally um if we figure it out um, and there is externality cost put on carbon emissions, then the mining will switch to almost exclusively renewables because of the cost uh, that they are able to, um, to generate at versus um, renewables, which are more expensive, uh, non-renewables, which are more expensive. So I think it's got the potential to be a net benefit, but it, there's no, there's no certainty in that outcome at all. It really depends on how we uh, approach it as a society. I think Guy might have been. Sorry, I was, I was uh, muted. Uh, Jesse, uh, let's uh, turn it over to you. Um, so I, I think in terms of the question around whether Bitcoin is a net environmental benefit or a negative is going to depend on where that Bitcoin mining gets built out. Um, today, a lot of it has used renewables, but there are developments that are happening in like former Soviet Union countries on old cheap coal power. And I think the, the question there is whether or not Western institutional capital taps in in a large way. Um, if it does, I think you'll see a lot more utilization of renewable resources. That's power in the West is all renewables and stranded resources. Um, I mean, that's generally true over the, over the planet, but there's also some stranded coal in some places that could be competitive if those other players don't step in. Um, so I, I think you know, in, in terms of the long term, renewables are the most competitive. They don't have the same fuel cost that other power sources have. Um, they have significant economies of scale and they've gotten you've seen significant development, even in areas that don't have subsidies. Um, so I, I don't think that subsidies are going to be a requirement for a renewable transmission or tra transition to renewables. And I think one of the unique things about Bitcoin mining is that Bitcoin mining is actually uniquely positioned to take advantage of renewables, especially intermittent renewables in a way that other sorts of loads can't. So like a traditional data center that has to be up, you know, 100% of the time, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's much more difficult to balance that load with the renewables that have intermittent generation. But with Bitcoin projects, you can actually balance the grid um, in the same way that a lot of other large industrial, like in talk, I talked a little bit about, um, there's some aluminum smelters that do this where they'll adjust up and down to balance the grid. And you can actually enable a higher penetration of renewables by having those flexible loads on the grid. Gotcha. Okay. 
Uh, uh, we'll, since Tone has jumped into our circle here, uh, welcome, man. Um, the, yeah, uh, it's unfortunately question... late. I had some uh, track issues, unfortunately. With audio. Gotcha, gotcha. I think we're good now. All right, cool. Um, well, uh, if you wanted to uh, add any, I gave a, a general introduction. If you wanted to add anything to that, uh, go ahead. But otherwise, the, the question that I wanted to start this off with is, do you think in the long term, Bitcoin mining as a new industry will have a net positive, net negative, or is it just kind of impossible to know at this point uh, effect on the environment? Well, I just joined, so I might as well let those that went on time uh, go go in front of me and I'll just go last. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move it over to uh, Christian then. Okay, thanks. Uh, so first of all, nice to meet Philip and Christopher in person finally. Uh, also, hi to Jesse and uh, Tone. Nice to meet you. Uh, second, uh, regarding your question, Guy, um, so value is generally defined as uh, benefit minus cost. So I can comment on environmental externalities and costs, but I am not able to comment on benefits of uh, Bitcoin, and therefore it's hard to come up with a final judgment. Got you. Okay. Um, and let's scoot over to Philip on this one, and then followed by Tone. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's you know next the next benefit of mining is extremely difficult to answer because you know. Imagine if Bitcoin rises by times two, times four, times times five, times ten, or whatever, uh, then suddenly uh, also increases electricity consumption a lot, and then you need to have massively more energy sources. Uh, and then the question is, do you really build a new power plants based on coal and gas? Uh, uh, because the current existing um, power plants, which are you know just old and depreciated, uh, of course you can do my Bitcoin mining there. But would you would you would you, would you create power plants uh, for an increased uh, load of electricity just for Bitcoin mining uh, in case coal and gas more expensive than hydro, wind, and maybe also nuclear? You know, uh, so therefore, in my mind, um, the Bitcoin network really tends to become um, have a higher share of renewables in the future, higher the price increases. And now concerning the net benefit, you know, so let's think this uh, through in case the Bitcoin price increases, then uh, who, who is benefiting? It's those people who are having Bitcoin now and who are hodling, right? That's, that's people who might have more money and more purchasing power in the future. Uh, and who is having maybe less? Because, you know, value is something which is stable. You, you, you can't create much more new value. You, so this value is basically uh, sub subtracted somewhere else. And I would argue that the value, uh, which is maybe created with Bitcoin at some point of time, you know, stock floor and so on, but the, the value which is which is created with Bitcoin might be subtracted from all legacy people uh, who do not see this coming. You know, uh, you you might have seen the Goldman Sachs presentation one. One week ago, uh, where it was like a like a time shift backwards, you know, the the arguments uh, for Bitcoin, the arguments for bitcoins they brought about in this presentation were two or three years old. You know, this is this is just legacy institutions which um, which do not see this coming. They might enter the bitcoin game, but only then when the price is higher. And this then leads uh, like on, on a relative uh, perspective to the fact. That value is basically taken away from them, moved towards the, the uh, tech and geek guys, which are hotling Bitcoin. And then the question is, you know, is this a net value or is it uh, or not? Um, is it a net value if young tech people are 
having an increase in power, purchasing power? Maybe yes, but you know, that's difficult to judge. Uh, and of course, you know, what I'm saying is, is highly speculative, but if you think this uh, smooth and this net benefit question is, is having like, uh, like uh, um, level two, three, four applications. You know, I don't think it's so simple as just the value is shifting from one to the other, because if you think about it, like in the nature of a disruptive technology, is that it's explicitly like, you know, we're not we're not shifting just for the sake of shifting. Right. Like there is some uh, uh, serious benefit that is happening. It's like it's like a disruption from the old AT&T monopoly and um, uh, closed networks to an open Internet is that the underlying like it's not merely value moved from a to b it's that the value in a moved to b because b had the potential to multiply that 10x the internet produced so much additional value to the phone networks and brought so many people into it and made so many people's lives faster more efficient and access to so much more knowledge that the those that resisted uh, adopting that technology because they were they were the holders of the previous infrastructure simply were the ones that missed the boat but I, but I think just in the nature of sound money we're looking at something that has the potential to add trillion dollars in value just in creating uh, an underlying base for a financial system that can't be cheated that is provably valid um and is uh, is truly equal for every participant um, so I think there's a there's an interesting dynamic to what the secondary effects of Bitcoin are um, uh, that obviously is really hard to apply as to whether or not this is a net benefit or not. But I I tend to think uh, just in general the fact that it provides independence is. Uh, but uh, let's move over to Tone since we uh, didn't hit um, him before and uh, yeah hit that. So it's not about late guys and uh, I really like what you just said, uh, guy. And uh, I'm gonna build on top of that. Uh, I'm Tom Vase. I have a YouTube channel just under my name. Uh, I speaker, travel a lot. I'm a trader. I'm going to leave the intro there. So, um, yeah, so I have a very, uh, so, so I have a big disagreement with you, Phil, upon what you just said. Uh, and it goes back to how Guy um, uh, elaborated on it just now. Is that the later someone joins the Bitcoin network, they are the bigger beneficiary. Uh, it, it's it's easy to say that well the only people that benefit are the holders of Bitcoin because they're getting rich. Uh, that is, uh, I, I find that to be a very uh, bad way of looking at the situation because to me that sounds like well your your dad just jumped on the internet for the first time and the only people that benefit are the holders of Amazon stock and Netflix stock, uh, which isn't true at all. Uh, Basically, Bitcoin benefits a person that joins it last because they are getting out of their fiat money. Uh, they're getting onto uh, something, uh, hopefully, a better store of value into the future, something that will give them more privacy, something that will give them independence, and something that removes control of the government over the financial, uh, basically, of the money. Uh, so, no, no, everyone is an equal beneficiary. And the later someone joins the network, the more stable, the more useful that network is, uh, which is what you want. Uh, I remember these debates between Eric Borges and Peter Schiff, like back in 2013. And uh, Eric Borges tried to explain to him that 
no. I mean, like, you will still benefit even if you change your mind in like 20 years. Uh, but the, the earlier you join, obviously, the more financial, uh, uh, financially advantageous it is. Um, as far as um, what do I think about the energy uh, and is the network net positive or net negative? I consider it a huge net positive going into the future. And I, this is where I like to separate uh, things like pollution versus things like well, versus the climate change movement. Uh, and in addition, I think that the hunt for Bitcoin will innovate uh, energy consumption. If someone could come up with a way to get better renewable energy, uh, better solar, a better geothermal, just uh, now you have a direct incentive. If you can find a way to innovate, you can profit directly yourself by mining Bitcoin with that innovation as a company. Uh, and I think that would drive uh, renewable energy because that's where that advantage could possibly be found. I can elaborate more, but I'm sure you have more questions. Yeah, there's uh, that. That's an interesting um, thing to bring up because I think uh, two of you uh, brought it up in your presentations. I can't remember exactly which one now, but uh, just talking about the the dynamic of having, um, uh, as as an example, like let's say uh, uh, hydropower. You know, there's like some sort of a, a uh, timeline that in ten years this is going to pay it off, and we have to have a billion dollars infrastructure connected to this city, et cetera, et cetera. But then with this tool of bitcoin mining we can we can have that turning profit the second the thing is or or at least being sustainable the second that it's actually able to produce power rather than having to wait for all of this infrastructure and this new thing and that could have a really powerful effect on any energy innovation at all um but uh, let me turn it over to philip because it looked like you're about to say something no, I, I perfectly agree with you. Um, I just mentioned this this aspect of, you know, what is the net benefit? This is extremely difficult to answer because it really depends on the perspective. You know, do you tackle individuals, individuals in Germany or in the US or, or in developing countries? Do you tackle companies or legacy banks or uh, startups? So this, this net benefit question is really difficult to answer. Uh, I, but, you know, what I meant is that, um, but this would be an answer for a question which was not posed, um, would be um, that Bitcoin ultimately works something like, like a magnet, you know, like collecting all kinds of energy sources which are cheap enough and collecting to some degree uh, a lot of purchasing power from elsewhere leading uh, to the fact that there will be some kind of redistribution uh, of uh, wealth um, towards people somehow engaged in Bitcoin. This can really be possible. This and thereby disrupting existing value brokerages such as gold, for example. And um, for exa honestly, let's, let's, let's think about what we would discuss right here in plus one year. Maybe we, in plus one year, we discuss the question whether gold becomes disrupted yeah, maybe, you know, and what I mean here is basically that value is moved uh, to other people potentially uh, by Bitcoin. You know, it's it's very speculative. I know it's difficult to make up your thoughts, but I just wanted to bring this up to put this kind of net value um, answer into perspective. Yeah, it's such a it's such an incredibly difficult thing to define because um, it's it's dynamic across uh, you know a thousand different demographics and industries um, that could potentially be uh, affected in you know one way either negatively or positively and then there's a whole lot of subjective um, like uh, like kind of secondary and tertiary effects on things like 
uh, a cultural shift to have a value move from a legacy system with a certain mindset about debt and finance and then move into a system that has a completely different idea of what money is, whether debt is good or bad, and that can have long-term effects on all sorts of things. Um, so yeah, inherently, insanely difficult to define or put any sort of concrete uh, uh, price tags on that stuff. Um, something that, uh, in, okay, yeah, sorry. You know, in a future where the block subsidy has um, gone away and the entire cost of mining paid, is paid for by transaction fees by definition if that is more than zero uh, then there is net value to the consumers because they are the ones that are choosing to pay for that good and there's nothing you can say to them to invalidate um, their value um, their sense of value that they're getting you know um, Value is inherent. It's inherently subjective. There's no objective measure you can put on value. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So, if I am willing to pay for block space, uh, whatever it is that I'm willing to pay for it, that is value to me. So it cannot, by definition, be waste. And you know, there's, there's, I agree with that. Yeah, and there's, there's kind of an inherent moral question there as well. Is that you know, do we get to subjectively put? our values on onto them like in in making judgments over whether or not they can they can make that choice um as to whether or not is it, it is their value or not um and then obviously in a decentralized system like how are you going <laughs> to what are you going to do to stop it anyway it's a inherently an incredibly difficult thing to control or uh, alter um yeah i mean this gets to the this gets to like a very deep level of uh freedom versus coercion i mean who am I to say that you watching a Netflix show is a, a waste of our common resources? I mean, that's not my judgment yeah, to make. Exactly. Yeah. Did anybody compute uh, how much electricity it costs to watch a 90 minute uh, Netflix movie? You know, how much <laughs> electricity? Honestly, uh, uh, there, there's research out there looking into data centers, which is uh, directly linked to such activities. I have one student that looks into Amazon currently. Um, so the carbon footprint of Amazon, um, where you exactly have streaming as one source of electricity consumption. I, I, I made an estimate, I think, uh, two years ago of the electricity draw of just uh, gaming consoles idling in the United States. And um, it's, it's, on the, it's on the level of something like 50 terawatt hours. So, wow. I, I'd like to make a, a couple of points here. So I think I think that one of the important points to note is that electricity consumption is not in itself a bad thing. So electricity consumption, like electricity production and consumption is good. Like that is that provides value. The the negative side is when there are externalities associated with how that is produced. Exactly. Right? So if if we enable more re renewables, more sustainable energy sources through Bitcoin mining, then it's a net positive. I think the other part that is important to note here is that in the total scale of human energy consumption, Bitcoin is nothing. Like, it is completely dwarfed by any industrial process, aluminum smelting, like uh, concrete production, steel production. Uh, the Bitcoin is such a small drop in the bucket compared to any of that, that any effects that Bitcoin has on a more 
financial level, like if, if there's a restructuring in the way that business is done, that will be far more significant than any effect of the direct energy consumption of Bitcoin. And I have to interject there too, that there is something important to keep in mind when you look at different people comparing energy consumption, they very often talk about um, electricity consumption on a national scale, but that's not energy consumption. The electricity consumption of the country is only a small part of their primary energy consumption. So, you, you know, electricity is, it's only, I think, a small double digit percent of the total energy that we go through as a species. So, and, and, and even, sorry? Uh, yeah, no, go ahead. But I, I was going to say, in, in, in addition to that, I mean, not only is, is electricity a smaller percentage, like electricity is a sizable percentage of total consumption, but for a given country, a huge percentage of countries' uh, energy use is, of most countries' energy use is, uh, is outsourced. So uh, if you're not a country like the US or China that's manufacturing for the world and you're a country that's importing, you are artificially reporting lower energy consumption numbers because all of those products that are made that everybody uses that you know those emissions are reported under china or they're reported under the us but in reality that's still energy consumption um, so it's not it's not really a fair comparison to say like you know bitcoin uses x amount of energy like electricity versus x whatever small country when you're only looking at the direct energy consumption in that country and not looking at the fact that they're getting all the resources from other countries that are consuming that elsewhere not only that, but like you can you can flip that entire narrative on its head and say like when Bitcoin uses more electricity than Chile, that means that even if Chile flipped their entire electricity infrastructure to try to mess with the Bitcoin blockchain, they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, energy consumption is a good thing. It's just a matter of how it's consumed and how we produce that. Like, um, let, let me add one more thing, you know, uh, everybody knows the market cap of gold, right? It's around 9 trillion and that's 50 times more than Bitcoin. And we know it from Bitcoin that like by theory, if the Bitcoin price is say 9,000 US dollars, then by theory, the production cost of one Bitcoin should also be 9,000 US dollars. It's not the case, I know, but by theory, it should be the case. So now take gold. Honestly, nobody discusses gold. If the if gold is, a mark, is having a market cap of 9 trillion, and um, like it's times 50, 50, 50 times more uh, than Bitcoin, then in case gold is produced, then what is by theory, the production price of gold, that's the market cap of today. So this is so 50 times more resources are being spent second by second, day by day, uh, to somehow get gold out of the ground, you know, but this is not electricity, that's equipment and machinery, and that's kind of, I don't know, um, all kinds of, things which are working in some kind of gold mine, but this is, is, isn't this also wasted resources to some degree? Nobody, nobody discusses this and it's 50 times higher at this point. Yeah. This I, I, remember, strange. I remember a paper from uh, Cruze to Malon that are exactly comparing uh, metal mining with uh, crypto mining. Oh, interesting, okay. So it was Nature Sustainability 2018. I've seen a presentation on gold mining compared to Bitcoin mining. Another, it doesn't only waste ridiculously more electricity, it's just so much more dangerous to the environment, like the cyanide that is used uh, to extract the gold. And then if you just go through all of the uh, environmental damage that gold mining does, Bitcoin is like a saint uh, <laughs> compared to uh, what goes on uh, in order to get gold out of the ground. And uh, 
it was funny when gaming was brought up. I was uh, speaking at a conference. I, was, I think it was uh, decentralized in Athens, Greece, uh, back in November, and there were a lot of people there that into proof of stake and other nonsense. And I got into this big argument with someone that uh, kept saying how Bitcoin is so bad for the environment and mining can't continue to happen, and um, and how proof of stake of currency is the future. Um, so it was. Uh, uh, and he was uh, a lot younger than me, and I asked him, do you play video games? I haven't played video games since I was about 21, 22. Uh, and I asked him, do you play video games? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how much electricity are you wasting by playing video games? Where's the productivity in that? Uh, so if you take all the gaming in the world, uh, everyone that ever plays video games, you combine all that and how much electricity that is using, and uh, please make an argument that that is more productive use of electricity than Bitcoin uh, that is trying to give everyone, you know, politically neutral, government-free money. Well, th this is why this this entire line of discussion is kind of like a bit of a red herring, because the the problem is that we don't have a good way to price externalities, and if we did, then the price mechanism would take care of the rest. So. I, I think it's it's partially that, and it's partially. I, I agree. I think it, a lot of it is red herring and kind of missing the ma the major point, which is like, the real environmental issues that we have on the planet today are how is steel produced, how are metals produced, how is concrete produced, um, you know, how is electricity produced, and how is farming done. Everything else makes almost no difference. Like those are the big issues. The you know if 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 our energy is produced in any way, it doesn't matter how much energy we use. If our mining and our, our metal production is done in a clean way, it doesn't matter how much, like how many metals we use. The earth is completely full. Like the, the crust of the earth is just materials. Uh, so if we're if we're looking at the you know the long term sustainability, it's a question of how these couple of processes are done. And so the, the question of, of Bitcoin's impact on that, it's such a small percentage of consumption. The question is more of which way does it incentivize production. Because if you if you mm. see you know even a small swing in the way that like if if Bitcoin for example is able to balance grids and enable them to use higher percentage of renewables, then you'll see a higher renewable penetration and you'll see overall lower um, lower utilization of fossil fuels than you would for um, for in a situation without Bitcoin. Um, there's uh, I, I'm really curious. Somebody has brought this up a, a number of times um, because. I, I tend to fall into the 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 category that like incentives are what matter here. Um, is that this is all going going to at the end of the day be worked out by whatever the fundamental incentives are, and that it's about narrowing that down and finding where that that where that's going to point us. Uh, but I think it was Philip. I think it was your presentation. You made an interesting point about the having. Um, and uh, what a uh, what an impact it has on mining efficiency, um, and but but the, you've you've got you've got a little bit of two dynamics here is that it knocks off all of the inefficient miners, but then also it has the potential to as increasing the the long term scarcity of the good um, to increase the price. Just curious, what is how does everybody think the having plays into this? Is this just kind of a short-term thing that ends up uh, uh, averaging out um, at the end, or is this like a huge player in 
um, the the efficiency of of mining when we when we move from a subsidy to fees and that sort of thing. Well, I I I think I think halfening uh, primarily leads to the fact uh, that the electricity consumption should be halved also, you know, on the short term. Um, and uh, and why is this? Because uh, some miners are having, have to leave the network, and that should be those miners which have the low, the lowest efficiency profiles. You know, like that's that's miners say in Germany, you know, which are mining at twenty cent per kilowatt hour. They would immediately drop out of the network uh, because uh, it's not efficient anymore, right? So the most efficient miners should stay in the network. This is good for the profile of renewables. Uh, but then, in case the Bitcoin price rises then the total energy consumption should then be increasing again to basically offset um, the saved energy through the mining, uh, through the halfening. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you have the halfening, then energy should basically theoretically drop by 50%, get, giving like an add to the uh, profile of renewables, then the Bitcoin price increases, and then the, the saved energy is basically offset uh, because new miners are joining the game because the total market cap uh, should increase. That, that would be my take on this question. It's getting dark here. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I agree with that. Uh, with the halving, uh, the most inefficient miners will have to full shop. Uh, so any miner that is using very expensive electricity, uh, they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. So every halving is just leads to a lot more uh, efficiency and energy gathering and the use of energy uh, because that is your giant uh, variable cost. Acquiring miners, uh, uh, getting a location, those are fixed costs. But your electricity, that's your variable cost, and you need to uh, know exactly what it is before you set up your giant mining operation. Yeah, I mean, in, in the long run, we're going to be, electricity consumption is going to be dependent on what the fee market looks like. So I think, you know, having, like, we're, we're, the supply is, gonna, is going to taper off, and that block subsidy is no longer going to exist in a relatively short order on the grand scale of things. And the the revenue to Bitcoin miners and therefore the energy consumption is going to be set by the demand in that market. Yeah, I mean, at this rate, even if these stay where they are right now, we only have like four or five more halvings before um, like fees completely dominate. Yeah, yeah. I think another interesting to point or thing to think about in terms of um, the long term sustainability of Bitcoin mining is. Uh, I think one of the key factors of whether or not Bitcoin mining uses fossil fuels or renewables has to do with time preference. So renewables have generally higher upfront capex than using a, uh, than using fossil fuels, but have lower long-term cost. So if we have investors that have low time preference, you're going to see a more of a shift towards renewables. And if you have investors that are higher time preference, you'll see more of a shift towards fossil fuels. And if you kind of play that out, you may think that in a world that is more Bitcoin focused and has lower time preference, you may see more renewables in general. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Uh, interesting, particularly with um, uh, going back to like being able to utilize those renewables when uh, when you have this huge uh, shift in uh, 
a variability, I guess, in the actual production of of the energy is that since Bitcoin mining can potentially fulfill that role and appears to actually be doing that um, in, a, in a greater way as time passes, is that uh, the, the cost of moving over to that and aligning with the, the potential um, lowering of time preference, it just, it, it kind of aligns incentives, the, the thinking and like mental framing behind it, and then also the ability to actually be sustainably profitable from that sort of energy production. Um, but, you know, somebody brought it up a couple of times about nuclear. Um, and I just kind of wanted to get everybody's feelings on, because nuclear is one of those things that, you know, maybe we'll have some sort of, like there's, you know, thorium and, you know, all that stuff. But it seems to me that nuclear is something that's inherently centralized because it's like almost always some huge production and it's, you know, owned by the government or like highly, highly, highly regulated. Um, it would, would that be uh, like kind of how, how do you see nuclear playing out in this? Do you think this is going to be a big role in the future? Is nuclear going to kind of just be that odd man out like it has been seemingly so far? Yeah, so, so maybe if I take that one, so uh, we see uh, reactor designs evolving, so nuclear is uh, making progress, there are some nukes being built in China, etc. So it will be one piece of the puzzle, but it won't be the one uh, clean solution. Mm, maybe two other thoughts following up on, on Jesse's point. So I was wondering whether anyone has ever, ever measured expansion of renewables due to uh, Bitcoin mining. So, are there any is there any evidence that someone built a PV panel somewhere to mine a Bitcoin? And uh, second question, um, I heard today a lot the load balancing argument. Uh, has anyone done a storage comparison? Because Bitcoin in this case is a kind of a storage. Has anyone done a comparison with normal battery, so grid size versus power to gas or flywheels or other alternatives? Yeah, I, I could take those. So the um, the first one you said in terms of do we see any any evidence of Bitcoin miners building their own renewable projects today? No, I, I think that um, in today's environment, Bitcoin miners are just starting to have long enough of a time horizon. That they're investing in their own medium voltage electrical infrastructure. So it's still a very early market. Um, I think that you know renewable projects in general are projects that are financed on the term of decades. So until Bitcoin projects are financed on the term of decades, you're not going to see Bitcoin miners go and build their own infrastructure for their own project. What you are seeing, though, is you do see a lot of Bitcoin miners that provide reliability and grid balancing services because for a Bitcoin miner, it's purely a matter of opportunity cost. If, you, if you're shut down as a Bitcoin miner, you're just not getting revenue for that moment in, in time versus other services where there may be significant cost to shut down and that can make it much more difficult for a lot of other traditional industry to fulfill that role. So I think basically any place where you have large miners in the world, you're gonna see them using those or providing those grid reliability services. Um, now the, the limitation to that is that, that that only works in areas that have low cost power, it's low enough to support Bitcoin mining and it only works in, and it, it only has significant value in areas that have intermittent renewables. So, you know, the you can provide load balancing for a hydro plant, but a hydro plant doesn't need a whole lot of load balancing. But if you're in an area that has a lot of wind power, there's a lot of value to providing that load balancing. Uh, 
yeah, so I have, uh, I've run across several uh, legitimate attempts to build renewable energy for a Bitcoin mining operation, mostly solar. And I don't think anyone pulled it off. I think a lot of them pivoted. Like no one was able to take it to completion. Uh, they realized that at the moment it's not very feasible. Uh, so hopefully it will be in the future. Um, as for the nuclear uh, side of it, uh, so by the way, I do have a degree in geology actually before I got, before I started working on Wall Street, that, that was my uh, original uh, degree. Uh, and uh, nuclear, I was never a fan of nuclear energy. Uh, it's actually listed as green energy. I don't know if everyone knew that. Uh, to me, it's just, you know, I know Chernobyl was a long time ago, and but Fukushima wasn't that long ago. And I am a little concerned. Uh, again, going back to my geology uh, studies, uh, we've had a really good run, especially in the last 100 or so years, uh, one to 200 years, uh, maybe 150 years without any major geological incidents. Do you know, they shut down all this economic activity that the Fed would. What was that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh, we had an even better run over the last few thousand years without any, uh, you know, ridiculous cataclysmic geological events. Uh, but I do believe they are potentially coming. And if one of them does come, and the world happens to lose electricity for three to four weeks. Uh, it's going to be tough for humans to survive because of all the nuclear power plants that would end up going into meltdown just because of that. So there are much bigger concerns as far as putting nuclear power plants towards Bitcoin mining. Uh, the president of Belarus uh, threatened to do that. Uh, not really threatened, but he mentioned it. Uh, apparently, that government is very interested in Bitcoin. And uh, I don't know how well those articles were translated, but I can see Eastern European nations uh, where the government says, you know what, we're going to mine some Bitcoin, let's put some competition and put a, uh, put a nuclear power plant to mining Bitcoin, which would be very interesting. All right, we're going to come back into this and uh, open this back up with a, a question about how states and the political atmosphere will play into uh, Bitcoin mining when this becomes a major player in the macro environment. Uh, but let's hit our sponsor really quick and then we will jump back in. Uh, you know, on that note, um, just because this is a this is a topic that I absolutely love, um, is that you know at the end of the day, the more energy spent on Bitcoin, the more secure it is, um, and uh, and you know obviously that's you know tied to distribution, like geographic distribution of the mining, and uh, and I brought it up with uh, one of you guys was just about. Um, if if mining power is centralized in a certain jurisdiction, like don't we do we not, do we see the potential that this could become a policy issue and that countries can play the game of I need to have my stake in mining on the network to make sure that you know I'm not beholden to country B or you know China or you know Belarus whatever it is who has a larger stake in this doesn't this become less a play between the individual miners and that extends out to the political sphere um like uh, how do you see assuming bitcoin becomes this huge very important thing and continues to grow uh, how do you see that uh, uh potentially playing out and having an effect on how much consumption 
uh, how much energy this thing is using. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to answer that unless someone else really wants to j jump in in front of me. Uh, my, my initial answer is no, it's not. Uh, because uh, to me, what made Bitcoin is decentralized due to three aspects. Uh, the development of the underlying code, uh, the running of fully validating nodes, and the third aspect of it is mining. Now, uh, each of these three things, uh, they're all independently decentralized. So anyone has the ability to run a node. Uh, the Bitcoin protocol is being programmed by 100 plus developers. Not all of them get along. It's open source. Uh, so and mining itself, I believe, is somewhat decentralized. Yes, we don't have that many manufacturers of the mining equipment and mining pools. Are, I don't really consider them centralized. But um, but anyway, so out of those three, uh, perhaps the Bitcoin mining has the highest future possibility of full centralization. We have one or two uh, mining manufacturers, like we have, you know, Windows and OS, even though Linux keeps trying. And uh, one or two countries could potentially dominate uh, the mining, but it doesn't matter. Even if there was a single chip manufacturer, and even if there was a single mining operation, unless they start acting maliciously, it doesn't matter. They can't really do anything because the moment they try to uh, take over the network, the fully operating nodes along with the developers will instantly change the proof of work mining and their giant you know, mining farm and their nuclear power plant mining, it basically become useless. So uh, mining centralization endangering Bitcoin is actually the least of my concerns. Uh, it's more uh, maintaining maximum number of fully validating nodes and the smartest people coding Bitcoin in, as an open source project. I, I think I actually disagree on, on this point. About, I, I do think that it's critically important that hash rate is globally distributed. So if we play out the example where, say that, uh, say that you're the developers and you have to change the proof of work, right? So yes, you just punished the, the, whatever country uh, was maliciously acting, but now who produces the ASICs? It can be that country again, right? If otherwise you're going to, what, you're going to mine on CPUs or GPUs, and who produces the CPUs and GPUs? And what are you going to do? Have scheduled hard forks like Monero, where you're just having a scheduled hard fork, hard fork every so often, and then everybody's mining on GPUs. But guess where all the big GPU farms are? They're also in China. So if, if, if a malicious government has the ability to produce their own equipment, they have all the mining infrastructure built out, they have all the electrical infrastructure built out, they can continue to replace that over time. And there's not like... It, there's not a good solution. It's not a, it's not a situation where you want to get into where we're having scheduled hard forks. That's like, that's a weakness of centralization. You have a weakness of, of even your alternatives that you could move to other than ASICs are not that good. I mean, if you keep a, a, um, an algorithm out there long enough, somebody will produce an ASIC for it. So you, I think in the long term, for proof of work to be secure, we're going to have to have... Uh, mining that's globally distributed, it would be good if we could have the manufacturing as well. I think that we're seeing some um, some indications of that. So like TSMC announcing that they're looking at opening a uh, fab in the US. Um, I think that that's really good news. I think even the fact that we have miners or we have mining manufacturers using both TSMC and Samsung is really good news. I think uh, you'll continue to see that diversification. Part of the reason why we haven't seen 
uh, like there's pretty big network effects to having manufacturing in China. But if you had enough mining in the West to justify opening manufacturing in Western areas, I think you would definitely see mining manufacturers open up over here, at, at least doing final assembly, if not some of the other uh, more base components. I mean, the incentives of Bitcoin are also stacked against this, though, because, you know, what, what is it that the, you know, monopolistic miner can do? They can censor. And if they censor, then they're putting a profitability premium on the coins that are being excluded from transactions, which other miners can pick up and be more profitable than the censored. And this is the way that Bitcoin is censorship resistant. So I, I agree that there are incentives built in. That being said, I don't think that the incentives alone would be enough to base your entire financial system on. If you're, if you're thinking of like, if you're a, an investor in, say, you know, you're one of these countries that's not that main producer, you know, if, if there's a group of producers that are all competitive with each other and it looks like there's going to be a lot of competition there, then this seems like this is a secure enough asset that you can, you know, base a lot of stuff on. But if, you know, if it's all done in one country, even if that in country ha has the right incentives, um, when, when you have centralization of power like that, Sometimes people don't act in accordance with how you might think they would. Sometimes, you know, people act, have other sorts of incentives that could cause them to act in such a way that is, you know, contrary to what, what you would believe. The, the important part is that as a network, when you have enough mining that's distributed enough, the incentives are in the right, uh, in the right place in order to incentivize proper mining. But we do have to have that distributed network. Uh, I don't think that there's any way to get around mining having to be on a global scale. I want to get back on this because like Jesse, there's there a lot in your answer there where it sounds like someone in charge needs to do something and make sure that mining stays, you know, spread out along the world. But in reality, yeah. that's never gonna happen. So no no no, no. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that that anybody has to be in charge in order to make that happen. In fact, I think that there are significant incentives and we're seeing this happen today. Like mining used to be more centralized in China a couple of years ago than it is now. And the reason for that is that as these ASICs have become more commoditized, the cost of production, your actual marginal cost of operations has become more of a factor than your supply chain. And with that, you're seeing cheap power in Western areas be, uh, be utilized and be really competitive against that other. And the, the other really important aspect here is geopolitical stability. So areas where miners can make longer term investments, they can get access to lower cost of power, they can make capital investments that pay off over the long run that may not be possible in an area where you might have government officials going back and forth on mining all the time. I, I think I think we should, you know, Bitcoin seems kind of large, you know, with 170 billion, but, you know, com comparing uh, to the operations which are in place at, say, Intel, Qualcomm, Samsung, you know, like these huge microchip companies, I think it's still too tiny, so tiny that these companies didn't really touch Bitcoin yet. So Bitcoin is, from their perspective, not yet important. And it's also not yet important from the perspective of central banks yet. So in case Bitcoin grows more, I don't know what the limit would be, like times two from now, now on or times three, then suddenly uh, there would be enough ASIC chips to be sold, such as Samsung, Intel, Qualcomm, you know, all these huge chip manufacturers at some point of time start 
thinking uh, entering this market, you know, and then incentive is high uh, that decentralization um, takes place, you know, and then think about political pressure. For example, some countries would like to have a stake in the mining uh, hash rate and then they increase their resources. This had this hasn't happened uh, yet, you know, like so right now it's just an artifact to some degree that China is so strong um, and you have mining going on in Norway and Sweden and Canada. For me, it's an artifact, you know, it's it's like that, but there has no political pressure, no driving force pushing it into this direction, not yet, right? Yeah, and I, I totally agree with the, the first part of that. And I think that um, that one of the great things about SHA-256 as an algorithm is that it is simple. And so even though there are significant barriers to entry for ASICs, those barriers to entry are way lower than they would be for a GPU or a CPU or something that's much more complicated like that. And that means that over time, as that market gets bigger, more market participants will enter. And the first mover advantage in, um, in a market like SHA-256 ASICs is not nearly as big as it is in a market like CPUs or GPUs. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the end of the day, I, I just find it really unlikely that a single country is over over the long run is going to somehow have such a large competitive advantage, both in the production of power and in the production of goods, that they'll be able to maintain a position like this where no one else is even able to compete. I just find it unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Can, can, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, jump in, Philip. So, so you know, uh, I think about once you're holding a presentation of, of on Bitcoin, then you always get this question about quantum computing. You know, will it destroy Bitcoin and so on? It's extremely tiring. Um, but honestly, what, what is what is the truth here? So, you know, think 2030, you know, like 10 years from now on, then maybe the, the quantum computer is there. Um, will the Bitcoin community up until then have produced like a quantum resistant uh, consensus mechanism? And plus, will the mining companies have adopted them? Because at some point of time, they have to, uh, right? So that this this is extremely difficult because the, the software updates are so tediously happening, luckily. Uh, but what, what's, what's your, you are the experts here. So what's, what would you expect happens? Uh, not not now, you know, I, the people asking us this question, they are thinking about now, uh, but say, let's think 2030. So but does the consensus mechanism need to be quantum proof? Because doesn't a quantum computer just drastically reduce the cost per hash? So it just switches mining from ASICs to quantum units. Yeah. Ah, so, so yeah. You, ah, you, would, you would mean that the hash rate, once the quantum computer comes, the hash rate would like, I think that the broader question here that people never seem to bring up, like everybody talks about quantum computers and Bitcoin mining, like will quantum computers break Bitcoin? But the thing is, if quantum computers break elliptic curve cryptography, all cryptography breaks, yeah. all government communications, all encrypted traffic, all like encrypted every ATM. Everything. Every the entire internet breaks. Like nothing, nothing works at that point. Like so, yeah, exactly. that is a nuclear outcome. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's uh, uh, Jesse, if you had something to finish, then we'll move to Christopher. Yes, yeah. uh, so either we either we in, uh, develop quantum secure algorithms for cryptography in general, and they're deployed massively everywhere and everybody adopts them, 
or we don't and quantum computers get here and like that is a you know that's that's a situation that you know who knows what the world looks like at that point but can the bitcoin community the, the, the tedious as it is you know uh, like software updates are coming like over just every two years if at all can the, the bitcoin community you know i like i like this conservatism don't get me wrong but can the bitcoin uh, developer community plus the minor adoption um, tackle such like a very very strong shift in the code you know or is this yeah, I, I, I just want to answer that real quick it's my understanding yeah i'm not an expert at the quantum computers but in the mining side it doesn't really matter that much to my understanding what is in danger uh in a world of quantum computers is uh your bitcoin that you have in cold storage which becomes a lot easier to hack so as long as people start moving their Bitcoin to a more secure encryption algorithm to protect that Bitcoin, um, all that quantum computers will do is just, you know, uh, have more competition for hash rate uh, and that even itself out. But uh, something like um, protecting your private keys, that's the danger. Yeah. So what's interesting here is that the coins that are most vulnerable are the Satoshi coins. Yep. So... <laughs> There's a debate on that, whether SegWit coins are slightly more vulnerable than Satoshi's original coins. Uh, I've been meaning to have Lukas Jr. on my show uh, in order to like really dive deep into this and why. I would love to hear that. I haven't heard that. <laughs> That's fascinating. But I mean, you, you, can, you can almost view the Satoshi coins as like a, a big... Uh, Right, it's yeah. a big treasure. It's, it's early, a big, you know, it's, early right, morning it's, it's, money pot. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and my view on it is this: if someone can come up with the latest technology, they can actually get those coins from Satoshi. Maybe not tomorrow, but like in 10, 15 years. You know what? Great, that's more Bitcoin in circulation. It's kind of like being mad at some guy that finds this giant ship of gold in the bottom of the Mediterranean. You know, hey, you know what? You spent the money, you put in the effort, you deserve the reward. I, I, I agree with that. I also want to point, I think the, the biggest honeypot here, like even bigger than Satoshi's coins, is the Fed computer, right? Like if, <laughs> if, if, if we break cryptography, all financial transactions are going to be fakeable. Like literally every, every financial transaction in our current system, everything that's electronic, is going to be completely broken. And we will either have to move to physical money or quantum secure cryptography. And what's and, funny and I'm more, what's funny I'm more concerned about countries' electric grids and their nuclear power plants and, uh, you know, codes to their nuclear <laughs> arsenal. Like, you have way bigger problems. Yep. Yeah, and uh, if you could basically put get yourself a backdoor into the Fed system, what's funny is that the 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 pain of auditing like, like any manipulation of that is going to be insanely <laughs> harder to actually see like you could actually make some mild modifications and have incredible power hey, in that God, we, might finally, we might finally get that order of the fed that is going to come from a hacker yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but bitcoin any manipulation in bitcoin would be far more obvious far quicker um, whereas you could literally probably take control over the Fed and it, you, you know, you could, you could twist things in your direction for months or, you know, 
years before anybody even found out. Um, yeah, whether it's the Fed or some South American country or, yeah. you know, country in South oh, Asia. It already happened. It was in Pakistan or something. Like someone moved like billions of dollars out from the Fed. They had no idea. <laughs> they're, they're using Swift, actually. Yeah, Swift. That's right. Um, and as I understand it with quantum computing, the it's not necessarily, I mean, obviously you'd be able to produce the hash uh, much better, but I don't, I don't think it, as far as my understanding, it doesn't reverse the ability, it doesn't reverse the hash problem, but it breaks the, the secret between, or the relationship between the public and private key, that if the public key is exposed, you can essentially get the private key out of it. Um, whereas SegWit actually, in, in my thinking and reading on this in the past is giving me the uh, a potential that if we saw it coming, you know, if, if like, I feel like this is not something that just somebody's going to flip a switch and it's like, oh, shit, we're all screwed. It's, it's going to be more of a, like, we begin to see that it's encroaching on this territory. And just like we saw with, uh, what was it, you know, SHA-1 and like old ones that in, like 10 years, 12 years before we're like, okay, this is not safe. But it wasn't for a very, very long time before a collision was actually found. Um, and, uh, in that same way, I think it's likely that we see quantum computing coming and in that it, it's very possible that because it, like SegWit being a great example is that since the signature really is the issue there, the public key is the issue is that since we've segregated it, potentially couldn't we make a quantum resistant signature and key set that pairs alongside of it that we soft fork in and we sign with both of them and slowly upgrade as time goes on. And then, you know, if one day the bomb dropped or uh, it, it appears as if this is suddenly uh, a huge risk, we just shift and we're like, okay, we're, we're ignoring the old keys only if you have the quantum signature because this is not safe anymore. It seems like there's a viable option of migrating to a new one without losing the UTXO set and, uh, you know, the whole... <laughs> the whole system in the process. <laughs> like, I, I don't know that I've heard any, like, I'm not an expert on quantum computing by any stretch of the information, but whenever I do hear, like, realize, I haven't heard anything so far that's, like, worried about this. They're, they're, yeah. they're mostly of the opinion that we don't even know if we'll have, like, functioning quantum computers. Like, it's not clear that they'll ever be practical at, at that level. And even if they are, like, I agree with you. I feel like, We'll have plenty of time to infight and, you know, beat each other up over it for years. <laughs> so many great panels. So many great panels to come. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're actually a little bit uh, over our time. Um, I don't think we have anything lined up afterward. Um, uh, I think there's uh, networking or something coming up. Does anybody want to... Uh, uh, maybe maybe let's do some final thoughts on kind of what we discussed and are you bullish on bitcoin mining <laughs> uh, uh let's start with uh christopher and we'll go around the circle again yeah i mean i'm bullish on bitcoin so it's hard to not be bullish on bitcoin mining then <laughs> um, you know but i have the opinion too let's let's spread it out as much as we can let's uh let, let's see if we can i mean it the incentives are nationally aligned. Like you want to push your mining costs as low as possible. So you want to have as many income streams from it as possible. So you're going to try to create as many net benefits for society as possible. You can make money both mining and load balancing and or, you know, doing
doing whatever other good using the heat or you know whatever it is like you're gonna do that because then you're gonna be more competitive so i think i mean i think it's cool it's like one of my favorite things actually <laughs> no. yeah I, I totally agree with that i'm bullish on bitcoin bullish on bitcoin mining i think that it's important that we're gonna that we have to have a decentralized global hash rate in order for Bitcoin to get to that sort of status in order where people actually feel secure basing their, you know, their finances off of Bitcoin. Um, and I think that there are big incentives for that. And it's up to us as miners to create attractive projects for institutional capital that enable that capital to flow into the space and enable those large projects in the West. Cool. I remain climate economist and do not comment on Bitcoin. optimistic <laughs> <laughs> with everything, uh, Bitcoin from mining to development. Uh, it would be nice to have more nodes, but I'm not too concerned about potential mining centralization or uh, ruining the environment. I, I, I think that we can have those discussions maybe in a decade or so, and then they'll actually maybe start to become meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my my last take would be that you know I'm I'm quite um, optimistic about Bitcoin, but I see two problems. I see once uh, you know like Corona kind of tried up the um, the climate movement, you know, like with uh, all these climate uh, people. Um, they are a threat towards Bitcoin because they are 99% of the population. Bitcoin is 1%. And if, if, if these climate uh, people are unfolding their power, uh, then all Bitcoin people um, could be damaged, you know, at least uh, with kind of some kind of a stick, um, stick, stigma, stigma, that's the German word, I don't know the English word. Mm -hmm. And the second one, you know, if we would really, if we would really like Bitcoin uh, to grow, then we would either need to grow in times of masses of retail investors, then education is needed, this is missing, or you would have to grow in terms of um, institutional investors, that's asset managers in New York and Frankfurt, Singapore, Hong Kong, and so on. And they are very slowly getting started uh, building their on-ramps. Um, um, there needs, again, much more education to be done. We can just wait and see what happens, but uh, in, uh, it would be nice to have some kind of Bitcoin fund uh, like the Dash Foundation would have uh, to specifically fund uh, Bitcoin education. Then, then probably would increase a little bit, you know, either retail education or institutional education, but this is, this is a, to some degree a bottleneck. Yeah. Awesome. Can I make a quick comment on, on that last piece there? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I have to jump. Sorry. Can I uh, say yeah, goodbye Christian. at another uh, meeting? <laughs> Unfortunately, meeting. nice meeting you all and uh, happy Absolutely. discussions. Thanks, Christian. Bye, guys. So, yeah, I mean, this is a problem that we saw with data centers when data centers first came around where people didn't really know that much about them. They consumed a lot of energy. People were kind of against them. And then now every city wants to bring a data center there. Um, <laughs> So there, you know, there there are a lot of regions in the world that have been very unfriendly towards Bitcoin mining, but Texas is open. We uh, have plenty of power here. We love consumption and and production of electricity, and uh, I think that there are there are areas in the West that are pro industry and are happy to to uh, to take all the Bitcoin mining that they can. Do, do you face a political pressure against you in Texas? You know, like some high-level politicians say, uh, we cannot have Bitcoin mining here for 
this and that re uh, reason, you know, is this happening? Texas is a state where if you consume energy, you are a good person. Okay, so there, is, there movement, is there a green movement in Texas? You know, in Germany, it's all green. Well, it, it's interesting because there, there is sort of a green movement in Texas, but it's, it's a different basis, right? So there's like, uh, there, there is a green movement, but a lot of it is based on like economically viable green energy. So Texas has a ton of wind power. There's more wind power than any other state in, uh, in the U.S. It's the biggest area for wind power in North America. And uh, it, it is that way because it may, like both there's a really good resource for it. And Texas makes it really easy to do business. So you can build wind farms there for cheaper than you can in other places. So um, I, I think that you know, there's a lot of market competition and that leads to a lot of, of renewables. And there's a lot of really good resources there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We will officially close the panel here. Um, but I think we're actually right here for any networking, um, if anybody wants to jump in. But uh, this this was awesome. I really enjoyed this. And uh, I'm going to be posting this, I, I know, on my uh, uh, my Bitcoin Audible feed because they're going to love geeking out on all this stuff. This is great. <laughs> Thanks for hosting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having us on. Uh, so the networking, do other people join in? Like, how does that work? To be perfectly honest, I don't know. Um, I didn't do this at the at the last one, so I thought that that's what we're. That's my impression of it is that people are jumping in, and somebody just requested, so we're going to throw them in here. Hey guys, oh, um, uh, perfect networking works. Yeah, I'm the networker. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the plan is just to have uh, open this up to anybody who has some any follow-up questions, either to join directly in video feed or via the chat. So let's see if there's any questions that are out there. If not, I'll, I'll probably have some awesome discussion, by the way. Thanks so much. So much rich content in there. It's really cool. Um, let's see if anybody has any questions. So Pox. Pogs Bitcoin did a lot of comments. Not sure if he wants to come on. Um, Pogs, you want to join back in, man? You still here? I don't know. We had, uh, as we were closing it out, we had uh, a bunch of people leave. Oh, yeah, there's Pogs. Yeah. Yeah. Pogs, come on. Put your camera up there. Like it to know how you look like. (laughs) Join and ask, or if you want to just type it out, that's also fine. But guys, Um, are the most. All right, he's joining. Cool. <laughs> Just to hit it off real quick, super simple, true, false questions, uh, true, false question. Um, Bitcoin is one of the biggest gifts to humanity and deserves to consume any amount of electricity. True or false? <laughs> true. I'm going to go true. Uh, the free market will determine that. Since we're networking, I'm going to go get a glass because I have a Nice bottle of right next to me. Yeah, I need, nice. a, I, I need a drink too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in my Bitcoin mug. It'll taste a little bit like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's good. All right, here we go. I, got, I just dropped Pox in here. Hey, guys. Hey, there's Pox. Hey. Um, hey, for joining. I'm going to join. I have absolutely no questions. You guys talk about a whole bunch of shit. That's cool. Um, so this was, I already wa- originally wanted to ask this question more towards Christian, but maybe uh, one of you guys has that context as well. So I was wondering, um, so I heard stories that Bitcoin mining farms are created like 
next to previously shut down power plants like hydroelectric dams and stuff like that and they get real cheap electricity which otherwise wouldn't be available by the traditional grid first of all is that actually true and have you seen any kind of like new lowest point prices for electricity that that gets generated by by bitcoin mining in any way i can do a comment on that. hey i don't have a bitcoin mug but i have bitcoin ice cubes Hey, wow, that's pretty, pretty advanced. Uh, hey, so I'm, I'm gonna, uh, as far as I know, uh, there's no way you're gonna set up anything next to an old, non functioning hydroelectric plant. Like, that doesn't work. Uh, so, yes, a lot of Bitcoin mining operations want to be as close to an energy source as possible. So, you build it right outside a dam, you build it right outside um, a, a power plant. I've been to one in Bulgaria, and there was this, uh, it, they don't generate electricity there, but basically in Bulgaria, there's this giant uh, electrical plant that is like the hub of like three countries' electricity. Like it goes through that one plant uh, before it like goes to other countries. So it's this hub. And they're building, I don't know, they, they took over like a giant abandoned building right next to it just so they can run a direct line. And it's literally right there to that facility. And they're just using up all of their access to electricity and uh, they're getting very good rates. So, yes, the goal is to build as close to, an, uh, to your electricity as possible, but they're not going to take over something that is no longer functioning. No way. It's, yeah. more, okay. it's more common that they use uh, disused um, electrical infrastructure of other types, like substations or like the the businesses that have set up in old aluminum smelters, for example, they take advantage of the electrical infrastructure that is already present on that, you know, um, are on those premises. So that's more yeah. common. But, you know, hydro plants don't actually tend to shut down. Like, pretty much all the ones that are of any size that were ever built are still up and running because the dam is yeah, okay. everywhere. And the cost of refurbishing a dam compared to its construction cost is tiny because so long, most of the construction cost is building the dam and it's just a giant block of concrete. It's not going anywhere. And putting in new turbines is very very cheap compared to building a whole new dam yeah so most what about transport of electricity if the consumers are moving out like villages moving into the cities or something like this also where it's getting too far away because the dam can't move right right exactly so uh if, if you take for example the the aluminum smelting plant that's um up the st lawrence river in northern new york so what probably happened there is that the St. Lawrence River Canal is not big enough to take modern uh, cargo ships. Um, so you can't get like you can't get the boxit carriers that used to um, that, that carry boxit these days, and that you have to carry boxit with to be um, to be competitive. You can't get them up the river like you used to. So that plant is no longer economical on its own terms. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just sitting there, but it's got all this infrastructure. So you have cases where there were consumers, but those consumers left. So yeah. that happens. Um, I, Jesse, I think that's the case with the Texas aluminum plant as well. 
that it, it used to be operational, but is no longer. Um, yeah, so you do see a lot of operations where there was some old industrial facility that's then no longer operating, and then you know it's unutilized, so someone else comes in and consumes it. Um, I haven't heard of of a lot of. I know that there's one gas plant that um, that is uh, co-located some Bitcoin stuff to help with their utilization since they were acting as just a um, just a grid balancer, and then they can do that a little bit more effectively with having some co-located Bitcoin mining. Um, in terms of the transmission cost, I don't think that that's generally the biggest piece. Uh, like, so for example, you know, China built out a ton of hydropower that was disconnected, and there's still quite a bit that's disconnected. But they're building big transmission. They've built two seven gigawatt lines connecting hydropower to areas that are uh, where they have more electrical demand. Uh, I think in the long term, all of that electrical uh, transmission infrastructure gets built out. I think that the the question is, you know, in terms of so take, for example, an area like West Texas, where there's so much wind power, any time that you build new transmission capacity, it basically immediately gets saturated because then the price goes up enough that people build more wind farms. Um, that's less of a concern with something like hydro because hydro is pretty limited in the amount of, um, of capacity that you can put out there versus something like wind and solar, where if there's a good wind and solar resource, it's really just limited by the market price of electricity. Do you guys uh, you guys have any thoughts about uh, well it's, it's not it's not it's not directly uh, related to energy consumption it's more about um, the issue of uh, mining pool centralization that uh, you've touched on before but uh, I know that uh, like improvements to the like stratum v2 doesn't really solve the like the big issue of transaction selection, like uh, you know composing the block and choosing which transactions transactions go in. But uh, are you holding uh, are you holding out for hope that there's like a there's gonna be like some software solution, uh, some like protocol level solution, just for the problem of transaction selection that could just make the whole uh, centralization of mining power thing uh, completely pointless. I, I, mean, I understood it. Stratum, as I understood it, Stratum V2 did uh, do that, that it was, it met the, the quote unquote, like uh, better hash standard or whatever, that they could actually produce their own block and would send it to the pool rather than receive the data from the pool. Uh, well, it's kind of the pool operator has to uh, it has to confirm it has to actually kind of uh, um, yeah it has to say okay I accept this uh, proposed uh, template for the block and that's uh, that, that was very disappointing for me to learn that okay. but I, I think that's the situation. So they're still kind of like the arbiter at the end of the day, like exactly. So if there's like some you know uh, dictate that uh, you know so these coins are not fungible. Uh, that's still, that's still a problem with the pool operator. Uh, yeah, I, I think that ultimately the place where the game theory plays out is that if there's enough centralization of hash rate, that miner can simply choose to execute a selfish mining attack and just continue to mine on their own chain and disregard. So even if there were other miners that could propose their own blocks, and even if they successfully found blocks, they could just simply mine on their own chain, and that would be the chain with the longest proof of work. So. The only real solution to that is to have a distribution of hash rate. If you start putting in other sort of safeguards, 
then those basically are why would you know it'd be like the the beauty and simplicity of bitcoin is that the mining works and if the mining is broken then i think that there there's you know some a lot more fundamental questions about about the protocol yeah i'm not too concerned about this problem uh because it's not even a problem yet and uh this is why uh again on, on the hobby stream uh alex petrov of bitfury said uh, they're no longer mining independently at Bitfury, and they joined Slushpool. And Slushpool is uh, historically has been uh, very uh, pro Bitcoin and pro decentralization. Uh, so yeah, so the mining pools that give the user more control will just win. Uh, this is uh, goes into many incentives of the capitalistic system that it is. And if too many people are joining a single pool. And, and that pool gets a very large hash rate, it will probably be the end of that pool. I remember the ghash.io days of 2014 yeah. when um, a pool for the first time reached 51% outside of 2010, 2011, when Bitfury was kind of doing it, uh, but uh, in the modern time. And uh, everyone kind of panicked. And uh, within six months, that pool was down to one or two percent hash power and i don't even think it exists anymore and that's what happens when your pool gets so centralized and it wasn't even their fault it was they were running a good pool that's why all the miners joined so uh the system finds a way to have its own internal checks and balances and trying to uh, manipulate the edges of that system would only lead to more problems yeah, that, that's that's something that you bring up that I was actually just about to, I was just thinking about when you brought it up, um, was that uh, Ghash is such a great example because at the end of the day, the pool is a very short-term problem. Um, you know, like like they don't own all of this hash rate. Everyone is just going through them, but you can log out of pool B, I mean, pool A and log into pool B very easily as as a miner like using this it's a software service you just have a username and password um and uh, uh with ghash as being a great example is that just the just the risk that like holy crap that 51 percent of the hash rate and i remember all the buzz like reddit blew up about it. everybody talking it's like oh my god they could kill the network and there was like well they don't want to like they're they're just doing a really good job at making a pool but it was ultimately and it, and it actually, what killed them and it's, and it's actually debatable if they could have done anything with that 51 percent. like yeah yeah like yeah 51.2 like or something like the max right um, well, well, like but, it's a concern when a single entity has like 60, 70 percent and they can maintain it for a longer period of time, then it's potentially a concern. But we haven't even come close to any miner actually messing with. If Bitmain couldn't destroy, uh, if, if Bitmain ended up destroying themselves, yeah. uh, trying to go for big blocks, like I'm not concerned. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a legitimate concern about um, the imposition of financial regulations. So, for example, if uh, if a country like China, and I think there's a concern about this in the U.S. as well, and I think we have to be active on the political front to make sure that this doesn't happen. But if a country goes in and says that um, as a mining pool, you're only allowed to process transactions from these whitelisted addresses, and if that's if all you know, if all mining in China suddenly had to go on a whitelist given out by the Chinese government, that would be like massively destructive to Bitcoin. 
And I think the only real defense to that is having mining geographically diversified in enough areas that um, that you won't get this this uh, sort of collusion. Oh wait, wait just, let, me, but, let, me, let me push back on that. I'm sorry. Uh, let me let me get in. So so let's talk about one of the let, let's let's remove Bitmain from the equation because they have no clue what they're doing. Obviously, well they did know what they're doing, but right now they. <laughs> Um, let's talk about F2 pool, right? It's a, it's a pool out of China. It's operated by Chinese. And however, it's just a pool. It's a collection of other hash power. So hopefully the senior management of F2 pool has kind of come up with some backup plans that if China comes down with that policy, it shouldn't take them very long to spin up F2 pool outside of China, because again, it's the infrastructure of running a pool, not mining infrastructure. So sort of, I mean, so the, the thing is that the physical infrastructure, you can enforce what pool, what pool that physical infrastructure is going to use. If, if that's located in your country, that country can go and enforce whatever sort of financial regulation that they want. Um, I do agree that I, I don't think that any of the pools today want to do anything to mess with the network. I think everybody involved with Bitcoin wants Bitcoin to work. I think the concern is about uh, people who believe that Bitcoin is a negative force and want to impose financial regulations uh, for the sake of uh, for the sake of their own political motives. So I, I think that this is is you know this is a real potential threat if you have any specific country, especially one that would that has a history of imposing financial surveillance. So if you know if if Bitcoin became big enough of a of an like right now I think just it's not even really on the I mean it's on maybe on the radar but it's not it's not a big deal in uh, in the grand scheme of things in China but if um, if you want to impose financial surveillance and censorship that would be one way to do it and the only way for the network to defend it against that is to have mining outside of that location and I think that's part of why like. Chinese miners want to mine in other countries. Like everybody wants mining to be globally distributed because it makes the whole network more robust and it makes Bitcoin more valuable. Right. Well, this this whole threat puts a risk premium on the cost of mining in those jurisdictions, which is why a lot of Chinese miners are doing exactly what you said. Like they're taking their gear and moving it outside of the country, even though that produces other risks. You know, you, you don't want to be captive to something like that because it puts a, an extra cost on your mining cost yeah. uh, and 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 puts a lower mining cost on everybody else. So, you know, it, it's just a normal regulatory risk of like making you uncompetitive compared to everybody else. And there's and I think that there's there's another interesting point, um, particularly when you bring up like like just kind of looking at all the terminology of how this becomes a problem. Like we're, we're basically admitting uh, the presumption that censorship is the problem for uh, mining centralization. It's not like, obviously they can't change the rules of Bitcoin. That doesn't, that doesn't really do anything. They just create another, you know, shit coin. Um, and being that censorship is the problem, then at the end of the day, regardless of minor decentralization, uh, privacy could be the deciding factor in whether or not that is feasible or enforceable. I mean, if you don't know who the whitelist is, like, like if you like Lightning Network being a great example of payments are moving off chain um, and there's a there's a huge default improvement in privacy that changes from blockchain analysis to network analysis, which is a 
far more difficult and uh, uh, hard to pinpoint mechanism for uh, trying to surveil everybody already. And there's no permanent history of everybody's transactions. And the nature of the fact that we're going to have a fee market and we're going to move to second and third layers of this, censorship is going to be harder and harder just from a who the hell is who perspective. Um, and even if you do manage a white list um, and you have approved addresses and you know bad addresses or whatever, is that transactions from those quote unquote bad addresses will build up and they will bid up fees in a separate mempool for those who are willing to do it. And it might not be a very, we're going to go to a fee system. The subsidy is not going to be what people are fighting over. It's going to be fees. So if a black market transaction is willing to pay four times the fees, are you willing to take a 75% loss or are you going to log in by VPN or go over tour and take a two second delay or latency to get 4X the profit and not tell anybody? So no, I, I, I do agree that I think that miners have the incentive to to integrate those transactions into blocks. I think the worry comes in where if if you have centralized control over enough mining in patch power that you can execute a selfish mining attack, mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter if those miners build blocks because they're building blocks that don't get integrated into the main chain. And if they don't get integrated into the main chain, then um, yeah, then well, like, yeah. If they don't get integrated into the main chain, then they see no economic value from those blocks, even though there were transaction fees. Yeah. Otherwise, it's and and it's you, you could try to create some kind of fork off of Bitcoin. Then you have to organize that fork on something other than the basis of hash power. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's essentially the the we've, we're already admitting. I'm sorry. What this is a discussion? Whether Bitcoin works under a 51% attack, and we know that it doesn't work very well under under that condition. Yeah, there are yeah, certain I mean, risks and trade-offs. This is an issue that's going to get solved. There's massive economic incentives. Like there's billions of dollars on an annual basis of electrical arbitrage to build out power in cheaper regions, and that's going to happen. It's just a question of who are the projects that make that happen, who's the capital that that comes and makes that happen, because the economic incentive is there. Also, to like to comment, uh, guy, on what you said earlier about privacy, we got to be careful uh, not to um, to enable that privacy too soon. Because right now, the the perceived openness of the chain, I think, is acting a bit like a Trojan horse. Yeah, uh, giving the powers that be like a bit of a false sense of security. Um, I hope this isn't recorded. Red circles is recorded right now. Red dots <laughs> everywhere. We'll, we'll edit this out. We'll edit this out. But uh, but yeah, right now I I feel like let's just play into their hand and be like, yeah, man, it's completely transparent. You know, you can look at the chain. Like you can't do anything nefarious. Like you just track the transactions. But you know, one day, uh, you know. We'll, 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 we'll hit the button and, and turn on stronger privacy features. And like you said, then it becomes like unenforceable. If you don't know, then you don't know, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, even if, even if you're looking so, at where you can only see, like you can only make sense of 50% of them. Well, it's just that you're in the other, you put yourself in the other 50% and you know, what are they gonna do? Um, and, but, but I, I like that the, 
that's certainly a consideration from like kind of a regulatory or adversarial perspective in a political sense is that we want them to just, yeah, it's open. You can see it all, you know, like we're not doing anything bad and uh, we're, we're following all the rules. Um, but I, I think in, at the end of the day though, I mean, obviously uh, privacy is a fundamental right and like, it's something that we need uh, long-term I don't know if like Lightning Network in itself, I think, is kind of a Trojan horse for privacy because um, I think people are discounting how much easier privacy is going to be on Lightning, and um, and that the the necessity of it as an offloading mechanism for low value payments uh, is basically doing exactly that. It's Trojan horsing a, a, a way to make incredibly easy and economic, uh, like, like privacy is always a big, a, a cost, right? There's the potential that we can actually change that economic incentive and privacy could be the cheaper option when we're talking about paying per kilobyte here. The, the, the ultimate fee is how much data we have, which means that the, the cost is how much we reveal about what's going on. If we reveal more, we pay more. If we reveal less, we pay less. And I think that uh, once we have a really robust and usable layer two, which for me, I think we're basically there. We've just, people haven't adopted all of the uh, right tools, but I've been freaking loving Lightning for the last couple of months. Um, but uh, when we get there, um, I think privacy will actually have a natural incentive, which I'm super stoked about. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed on that, I guess. That's, that's, yeah. And I want to be, want to be sensitive of your time. We're we're officially up on on time with this session. So, I think with the guy who just said it, privacy is a fundamental right. I think that's a nice closing thought. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much for all your insights and questions. Obviously, feel free to hang out further if you want to. Yeah, Stelio wrote a nice comment uh, in the chat. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't know if it's the same Stelios that made these t-shirts. It may or may not be because that's also by a username Stelios. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, thanks for the comment, man. Good job. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. Dude, I appreciate yeah. everybody coming on. I had a blast. It was awesome meeting everybody. Right, thanks for moderating, man. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. Later. All right, that closes us out. Don't forget to set up your Bitcoin savings plan at swanbitcoin.com slash guy and share Bitcoin Audible with everybody you know and love. This is here so that you can learn anything and everything you want to know about Bitcoin. And we will be back tomorrow with another episode. Until then, take it easy, guys.